Welcome back, everybody, for another fun edition of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today we're changing it up, where I'm actually the guest. And my amazing producer, Nebraska, is going to throw a couple of questions at me. And, you know, I think this is just key for you as the listeners learning more about who I am and what I do. And as much as I love our amazing guests um, that we come on the show and it's fun and exciting, I also think that there's a lot of involvement that you may or may not know with that I have. So, Brasco, I appreciate you taking the time to do this today, kind sir. Uh, let's have some fun. Hey, listen. I don't want to be those producers on these other podcasts that are like just trying to hog the mic and take over. This is all you. And just to give a heads up, we did, you already did something like this where we aired an episode back in March where Karma Slomianski actually interviewed you and you did yep. a little bit of investment chat. And we're going to do the same thing here. So, first off, there are going to be some questions that will get asked from other guests, but we're going to ask, what was it initially? Because listen, I've known you for, you know, well over a decade. And not even I don't know this question. How did you get started in this whole business and bringing the Rolex whiskey to light? Well, it's it's really interesting because this is not something that I ever thought would happen. Um, my oldest daughter will be eight years old in October this year, and she was born five weeks premature. And that required her to be in the NICU, uh, the infant ICU, for two weeks. Wow. So my wife would sit during the day with her and mainly just pump and, and have milk ready for her. And then we, you know, we had my son Mason at home and then my wife would go home at night and I would go sit there at night with this baby who was tiny and all these little tubes in her. I mean, she wasn't born with any issues. The issue that she was born with is she wasn't mentally there to feed. So she couldn't actually figure out how to nurse and get supplements in her body. Right. And nobody, it wasn't being picked up on. It's called fail to thrive. So she had to stay there until she could eat on her own. So my wife would pump. We would then feed uh, the, the milk through a tube through her nose directly into her belly. And I would sit there at night and read stories to this little girl. And, you know, just honestly, it was very peaceful sitting in that NICU and very grateful and humbly. Um, nurses are just the most amazing people and kind people in the world. Agreed. And are like nobody else, like nobody else. I mean, they have people in there that they have nurses that hold the babies just to hold them, just so they can feel body warmth and love and care. They have obviously bathing and feeding, but like it was, it was just a beautiful environment. And while I'm sitting there, a buddy of mine contacts me and he says, Hey, um, our mutual friend in Detroit who owns a bunch of bars is having a couple of issues finding like high end whiskey. And this is now, what do we? This is 2015. Okay, so it's October 2015. October 30th. She was born the day before uh, Halloween. She was due on December 17th. So I'm sitting in there and I get this message and I'm like, like, what kind of stuff? And then he says, listen, I'm looking for like McAllen 25. I'm looking for good stuff. And I'm like, all right, let me go see what I can find. And I go cruise around the next day and I look at a couple of like liquor stores. And I'm like, whoa, like there's some stuff here. This is nice. Right. And, 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 you know, Brasco, this is 2015. I think the most I'd ever spent on a bottle of whiskey was like $80. And I was like, that's a lot of money, you know, like 80 bucks. And I'm walking in and I'm looking at these stuff for $1,000. And I'm being told like, hey, dude, this is worth something. So I digest that information. And 
the next night I'm sitting in the hospital and I'm like, dude, like how crazy would it be to start an alternative investment strategy, which I'll call the kids college fund. And I'm going to buy whiskey and see maybe by the time the kids turn 18 and need college money, if it's worth anything. And what's the worst case scenario? You drink it. Okay. And I literally, I'm sitting in the hospital and I'm going like, I'm going to take a swing at it. And I went around that week and I, and I bought a couple of bottles and they weren't, I, w- I wasn't ready to spend a thousand dollars by the way yet. I was definitely not like I think needy. I remember, I remember, um, the same friend said, Hey, buy my house. And, and I, and also let me just, let me preface all of this. Born and raised in South Africa. All I've ever drank in my life is scotch. And when I say scotch, I've drank Johnny Walker, black, blue, red. I've drank John, uh, J and B. I, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Julianus and Balstri or something like that. Anyway, J and B is a big one. And that's really it. And Bell's. And whoever else, you know, growing up had a scotch, we drank that. But I don't know anything about American whiskey. And my friend says also, hey, um, there's this thing called Pappy Van Winkle you should look at. Oh, okay, cool. He then calls me and says, hey, they've got a bottle of this Pappy Van Winkle. It's a 10-year-old and it's at the liquor store for $199. And I go there and I'm like, I don't want to spend $200 on, on this bottle. Like, I'm not going to do that. Now, when you're buying these, are these liters or are these fifths? 750s. Okay, got it. Amer- America up until last year was all 750s. Um, now they allow them to be 700s. Okay. Because it's just in, in, in Europe and, and most of the world, it's 700 mLs. America's the only one that likes 750s for scotch. Right. So now they have, now you, you know, and then so you better think the guys in Scotland are going to be like two different bottle sizes to get there. So that's how this whole thing started, sitting in the hospital and kind of like, you know, hey, I'm going to take a swing at this and it could be fun. And it's kind of goofy and it's taking my mind off the situation of this little girl laying there with these tubes and, you know, I, I want to get her out. This is this is how I got through my days. I'm like, I can't wait till she, we can leave this place and get her home to her family. So you're and, hey, letting the college fund with this project here. And then you start meeting the people that decide to go ahead and give to this and you're meeting a lot of good people well so i don't know where to go for guidance and i'm learning on the fly and this is once again 2015 and within facebook there were like these secret groups and right i i was able to um kavalon was a really good taiwanese whiskey back then and their whiskey called the amontillado had just won an award. And I somehow, I forget who invited, there's a local gentleman here in San Diego. I forget who added me to this group, but we were transacting Asian whiskey in there, um, you know, through trades and stuff predominantly, because, you know, it, you would actually, Brasco, pause. Yeah. Let's let's cut out that whole Facebook thing because it's illegal. 10 seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, two, one. So I started doing a lot of online research as to what whiskeys would I want to add to my collection. And I started looking at who had been winning whiskey awards. Now remember, I have like nothing. And I now I'm thinking of getting this bottle of Pappy Van Winkle and then my brother and then my brother. 
Then my friend tells me another thing I should look at is Michter's. And he's taking cues from our friend in Detroit who's telling him what's hot. And he said, and then this Yamazaki, this Japanese whiskey stuff. So I start going around to liquor stores. And I'm like, hey, do you have this? And they're like, nobody wants that. What do you want it? And I'm like, I don't know. And that's how I really started doing it. Like I would go store to store and like give them my wish list. And most of the stuff was not stuff that they carried. They said, nobody wants this. Why do you want it? And I said, I don't know. I think it's something there. Right. Now, when you went to the stores, it wasn't necessarily going to the big box stores out there with the letters and all this kind of stuff. But you were using, you were having to go to certain spots that were kind of independent and, you know, know what size they are, but you did have to do some searching around. Oh, 100%. I would like, you know, I would, um, there was a couple of stores that would tell me who the brand rep was. So a great story is uh, the Michter's 25-year-old bourbon is coming out in 2017. Uh-huh. And a local store tells me, I don't know if we're getting one, but there's this gentleman named Sam who is responsible for Michter's down here in San Diego. And I had actually met him in a store before, just randomly. I mean, I was in the liquor stores every day. I was in the stores every day. And I called Sam and I said, hey... I know this bottle's coming out and I really, really want one. And he said, yes. And I think he said there were like six bottles coming to San Diego. And he said, um, I can't, I, I'll, I will, I'll know more closer to the day which exact stores are getting the six bottles because one of the store might get two of them. So that means only five stores are getting. And I said, dude, that's great. So I literally drove to one of the stores where I thought one would be landing. And I said to him, and I said there, hey, um, let me know. And sure enough, that store was being allocated two of them. Now, this bottle, I think back then, was around $700. But already stores knew that they could sell it for a couple of thousand dollars. And I had another store that I'd already prefaced that I would be buying it at. And so in my mind, I thought that day I was getting away with two of them. And I was like, this is going to be great. You know, this is going to be, I'm going to spend $700 on a bottle and it's going to be worth a couple of thousand dollars immediately. And who knows what it's going to take the next, you know, 12 years. Now, the reason why my whole strategy is not 18 years is because Mason was already around. So I had to subtract his out. So I think all in all, it's about a 15 year strategy. Once this will be done when Mason turns 18, because he was around three or four when Sloan was born. So anyway. So I'm at the store, the bottles come in, I go straight to the guy and he's like, dude, are you seeing what they're going for? And I'm like, it doesn't matter what they're going for. I thought we had like a deal. And he's like, no, people are paying like four or $5,000 for these things now. It's like, I can't give it to you like for nothing. And I was like, well, what price like would make you happy? And he's like, I don't know. What's your best offer? And I said, $2,000. And he's like, dude, come on. And I'm like, I don't know, like that's 2200 And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. You're a nice guy. Fine. And I got a bottle brass for tw- for $2,200. And I was you. feeling so good at my, I was feeling so good at myself. And I drove to the next store where I thought this guy is going to be, this is going to be a slam dunk. I'm going to walk in there. I'm probably going to pay a thousand bucks for it. And I walk into the next door and the guy's like, oh my God, dude. I'm, I'm like, did you get one? Did you get one? And he's like, I did. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I had to sell it. Oh. Like a guy just came, a guy just came in and offered me four thousand dollars cash. He's like, I had to take it. 
And they're like, listen, I'm never, I'm never the guy that wants you to lose money. I'm appreciative if you can sell me the bottle, but you run a business and I'm appreciative. And I said, dude, no worries. Now, it was really interesting because now I have this bottle in my car already that I bought for 2200 Well, the second store that I went to who ended up becoming a very close friend of mine. There was a, the week before Yamazaki released this bottle, an 18-year-old Yamazaki Mizunara. And this is once again, we're in 2017-ish now. So like Japanese whiskey is hitting, but nothing crazy. But this was like the first big release that they had had in a minute. And he had one, but he wasn't sure if he was going to sell it yet. And he felt so bad that he sold me that bottle for $1,000. So I drove home that day with a Michter's 25-year-old bourbon for 2200 and a Yamazaki Mizunara 18 for $1,000. I felt pretty good on that day. That was a good day of whiskey hunting. Now, hypothetically, that Michter's bottle is worth about nine grand right now. And that Yamazaki Mizunara is probably anywhere from seven to nine grand on a good day. So not too bad for a day no. out there. <laughs> but the thing is, when you look at it, you're almost, and there's been stories talking about it now, it's only been the last decade that whiskey's starting to look like a commodity. It's like gold or silver. You're actually, there's a real value to it. It holds its value. It's safe. And mm-hmm. what you're holding on to with your own collection, you're holding on to a, you know, a windfall whenever you need it. I mean, it's, it's liquid cash, you know, if, if I need it. Um, to me, it's more like, you know, the end goal, people always ask, how are you going to get rid of it all? Probably auction. Um, auctions are the best because you get a, um, emotional buyer who, if they really want the bottle and they start bidding on it, they'll, they'll follow it. But it's also, it's whiskey because of the fact of how it's done. It can't, there's not other, you know, spirits out there that can do the same thing that whiskey does in terms of holding value and having the kind of value and doing what you did going to the, the other stores and other people buying it off where you're trying to get the best deal for it, knowing you're going to get a bigger return on the investment. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping. I was hoping that I was being a little slick and and figuring out before it became a thing. I was kind of using um, some insider information from what was happening on the East Coast where the demand was. And I was attempting to wander around. Um, I'd say the best deal that I, that I was able to get in liquor stores was when I really... I mean, most of the time I was unfortunately pretending like I didn't know what I was talking about and I was just wondering. Um, and that and that worked for me. I mean, I bought a lot of bottles. I really, in 2016, 17, and 18, I mean, I think I bought 600 bottles in those three years. I mean, my first three years of investing, you know, here we are almost eight years in. Um, and of my 780 bottles in my investment, 600 of them were done in the beginning. I mean, I went... And, and, but I, but yeah, that, that's what I was doing. I was, I was hoping that there would be something. And every time I would buy something, I'd be like, "Whoa!" And I mean, I took a couple of bad moves as well. Not all my, not all my guesses, and I'm throwing up air quotes, were good. I, I made some bad decisions too. Now, I'm looking at a story back from Forbes, which I mean, right when we started doing the show, there was a story that came out from Forbes that talked about how whiskey can be an investment and how what you need to know about it. And they talked about some of the deals that were made on particular bottles. So, for instance, they were talking about last year in the UK, there was a charity event, and one bottle of Glenfiddich Glen single malt sold for, it was a 1950s bottle, 
830 million pounds. So that's what, almost a, almost a million dollars? That was a record. Oh, yeah, there's been multiple. For that. And with another been, one. There's been multi, yeah. multi-million dollars. And if you think a few episodes back, when we spoke to my dear friend Mahesh Patel, yes. back in the early 2000s, he was the first dude that was dropping like $200,000 on a bottle. Some of his bottles are worth north of $3 million now. Yeah. And there's a, they're talking about it was a collector in Asia that got a bottle and sold it, a 1975 cask of Ardbeg single malt scotch, $17 million US. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I bought, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, my dear friend Karma from uh, Block Bar, but, you know, they did a very limited release on Block Bar of an Ardbeg that was actually uh, finished underground you know normally these things sit in rick houses and they age in there this one they like put in the ground and i constantly get offers on that one you know in the many in in the low thousands for the bottle so ardbeg has a really big name but that that was a big one and it's just beginning i think what people don't seem to be realizing with this whole whiskey investment thing i said you know the last decade you know like johnny said the other day because of guys like me it's, it's a lot more familiarity and people are doing it but there were dudes doing it. Just nobody knew and nobody cared for the most part. But there's some multi-million dollar whiskey collections, especially in Asia. Asia really has the, the bulk of, I believe, the inventory. But there's guys in Germany, too, that have huge collections. I mean, they're all over the world. Right. And but I think that the Forbes articles are now picking up on the return because of the auctions. Like, Sotheby's will do an auction where they'll be like, oh, we thought we were going to get $800,000 for this lot, and they'll get like $5 million. And of course, that makes news. And people see the news, and they start to say, well, hey, how's your stock market shares doing? And how's your uh, gold doing? What You should have bought whiskey. So now this all is happening. It's very rampant. It's with where things are. People are looking for alternative routes to go ahead and put their money into something. And- you know, it doesn't. Well, a bottle of whiskey is not going to take up as much space as a house, or take up as much space as other things that are out there. So, like, that's the idea, and, and there's so much value to it. Now, when you do it, and, and it depends okay. what your goals are. It depends what the goal is, you know. So, th- th- there is yes, whiskey. It doesn't take up as much space as a house, but it's like, what does your exit look like? What do you want to do? I mean, there's so much. You know, you've heard me talk. There's so much pain in the asses with investing in whiskey. That where do you store it? Insurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like it's. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's a, it's an effort. I want to ask this. When you do try to invest, how do you know what you're going to go and get? If you can't sample it, you can't try it. You can only go by what people have said and on what the value is. Like, what, is that a thing that you have to consider when you're trying to invest in a bottle? Well, you get to, you know, it's not like wine where if it's not stored correctly, you don't know what the end result is. You know, like wine could become vinegar. Yeah. It's not like that with whiskey. So, like, really, if you're looking at whiskey, you're looking at the details and the upside potential or, like, the, the brand name or a lot of hype. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of whiskey out there that has no, no, no substance to it. And, I, and, I, and I'm not saying that in a mean way, but it doesn't have a lot of things going on. Yet, the brand is incredibly well marketed and people feel like they need to own it. And I own plenty of those bottles. But for me, when I first started it was real clear i started off with japanese whiskey and i started buying japanese whiskey because i was at a bar and this was like 2016 
And my friend had said, hey, Yamazaki, you should try this. And I was able to try the Yamazaki Sherry Cask. And after drinking scotch my entire life, when I tried that whiskey, I had like this epiphany that whoever made this are perfectionists. And I believe that they didn't make it for money. They made it out of pride, meaning that this is the possible best, best, best liquid that they could release. And if it wasn't, they weren't going to release it. And I said, hey, these guys at Suntory, I don't know any, I've never seen a Suntory whiskey on any whiskey bar. This was a bar in LA that I tried it at, by the way. Um, I've never seen it. And I'm like, I'm going to start buying their stuff. And this was the days where you could find Hibiki and Trader Joe for like $54. And I started buying it. And I started buying a lot of it on auction. Auction's always been a great way to get access to the world market um, of whiskeys. And because most of these whiskey auction houses are Scotch-influenced, Japanese whiskey is like on page 900. So I was just buying that. And, and to be honest, I wasn't being a genius. I didn't have a ton of money. And because it was lower priced, I said, well, I can buy two bottles of Yamazaki for, and I'm throwing out a random number, right? for $300. Or I could buy a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, one bottle for $300. Well, I'd rather have two. Yeah. So I was really like kind of being cheap and smart and nervous and smart, meaning like I don't want to have too much cash out there in case I fuck this up. And I lose all the money, but I've got a hunch that there's something happening with this Japanese whiskey trend. There's something happening there. And did you realize Suntory's been around for a hundred years? It's a hundred years out now. I just, I, I just, I just, you know, I've been buying the hundred year anniversary stuff. Wow. You know, that just got out. And, and that, I mean, so they just released for the hundred year anniversary. They did a Yamazaki 12 year old. They did a Hakushu 12, a Yamazaki 18 and a Hakushu 18. And the 18 was extra peated, and it's probably one of, one of my top three Suntory whiskeys. And I was fortunate to get two of them. One of them I paid maybe a little bit more than I should have. Um, the other one I got at list price. I won a ballot. So pretty excited about the 100 years. But yeah, they are steeped in tradition. Um, as I've got more and more familiar, obviously, over the years, you know, anyone who follows Rolling Whiskey knows that I'm a diehard Suntory fan. But that was the, you know, my, I think I have 200 Centauri bottles. That's how I, that was the, that was the layer of my whiskey investment. And then I moved to bourbon. Yeah. Now, also depending on, you talk quite a bit about Japanese whiskey on the program. And of course, there's in other areas that they also make it. But there's something about the Japanese brands and what they're making over there that always catches your attention. What is that all about? I just, you know, I consider them Michelin, you know, I use a lot of foodie terminology. Yeah, I consider that the Japanese distilleries are like Michelin star distilleries. Everything they make there is at the highest level. I mean, you know, obviously, like I said, I own a ton of Suntory whiskey. I also own a decent amount of Ichiro's malt. Um, unfortunately, that you know, they released just too much for me to keep up with, to be honest. Um, just what it is. It's super small runs, but lots of different runs. You know, it's like having a a different menu every single day, whereas Centauri is like, every time you come to our Michelin star restaurant, you're going to have these amazing eight courses. Ichiro is like, every day you come, it'll be eight different meals. So I just couldn't keep up with, with that one, but I love it. I mean, there's something special about Japanese whiskey that truly 
stole my heart from that moment when I drank, drank that Yamazaki sherry cask. Wow. When you look at whiskey investing now and the future leading forward, it feels like Japan still is going to be setting the bar and they're going to be leading to that market with the amount of money that's in there anyway. At the moment, last year, the market was $64 billion. The global whiskey market is going to be 90 plus billion dollars, 64 billion, and it'll be 91 billion by 2028. 6% compound growth. So imagine where you're going to go with that. What do you see when you hear those numbers? And where do you see yourself and others you would recommend if they're going to be buying bottles? Well, that just shows you that the education and the knowledge base is growing. More people are trying whiskey. Rask, I think we've interviewed enough people who own bars and restaurants who've told us that there's more space being allocated to whiskey on the menus than ever before. As an ex-operator of restaurants and nightclubs, I would rather have my staff pouring a $300 one ounce of whiskey that takes them four minutes than making a very fancy cocktail for 20 bucks. So they're putting these stuff on, and I think that the education's there, which is why the market is driving and as an investor, there's people that always come late but want to feel a part of it. And I think that's what's happening now. They're like, oh, my God, I missed out. I missed out. And they're paying a premium to attempt to get caught out. Now, a guy like me who's just holding and not selling anything, it's a great thing. My investment just keeps going up. Every time I redo my spreadsheet, the numbers keep going up. And it's not on everything. I mean, Japanese is special and certain bourbons are special. And certain scotches, not everything in my collection's gone up. I mean, some of it's actually gone down. Right. You know, so that's where I see it. I see that that jump to me is even more optimism into my little foray that I went into because of, you know, Sloan in the hospital. And it's like, all right, well, the more people that want to be in, the more the price goes up. Right. I want to ask a few things that uh, before we wrap things up. Just your thoughts on a few things that I saw, because I got a chance to do a little homework before we got on here. And we were talking about Japanese bottles. There was one that it talked about that was discovered in a warehouse. And the asking price now is $30,000. The world's oldest Japanese whiskey. It's a Shirakawa 1958. Untouched in a warehouse. And they're trying to sell it for $30,000. You know, I don't know without knowing any much about that brand, but like just that kind of thought of like, okay, untouched, this particular brand, an older bottle, no matter what, some people just might go off the bat and say, oh, that's an old 50s bottle. Somebody else just sold it for 100, 100 plus thousand dollars. Why, why, not, why shouldn't I buy it myself? Why shouldn't I bid on it? You see, my hardest part there is that's a, that's a, a buy for an individual that really wants to have that kind of thing like hey i own the oldest bottle i'm not that guy and and the people that buy that are a very small investor pool in my opinion yes. most of them are looking for more um more broadline bottles and i'm not saying that that bottle is not amazing and i hope someone buys it they open it and they charge me a thousand dollars a pour at a bar because i'll gladly do that i just wouldn't put that in my collection because i think when it comes to exiting down the road your buyer pool is real small. Like the bottles that I have bought in my investment collection are all highly demanded bottles. 
They're not like, like there's hundreds of people that would love to buy this bottle. That bottle, you know, you, you might be going down to a buyer's pool of like a dozen or two dozen. And depending on their financial situation, you know, when the stock market crashes or real estate crashes or interest rate, like everyone's affected. I mean, there's definitely been a slowdown in whiskey sales lately. I mean, I've been making amazing deals on auctions buying because like people don't have money right now. Like there's there's a, there's something happening out there. For me as an alpha male kind of like great white shark, I like to call this blood in the water. And I love those kind of times. I go buying when there's blood in the water. So that bottle is something that I would love to drink and pay to drink, but I would never own that. Me personally. And you also just have to go off of what they're trying to say that it has. Oh, it's from a loss for God. Japanese distillery is it has a, a real a real fruitfulness to it, and the palate they go on to say is nicely balanced and persistent. So you're basically getting just the guff of what this, the brand ambassador of the people that own the investment of the bottle to make you buy the bottle. But you heard when we had um, Joe on from from Bonham Skinner how he said that one bottle they put it hypodermic needle inside they extracted it to prove all that kind of stuff like they can't sell that stuff like just with their personal notes there's too much money at stake so i don't really worry about that stuff i'm more concerned at that level because that's a lot of money i'm more concerned that the fraud that's happening at a lower level like like the buffalo trace pappy van winkles are highly replicated with fake shit inside like they basically pour inferior whiskey in there and the average consumer We'll buy them on eBay. Like if you're buying whiskey on eBay, you should probably check your mental health because there's probably going to be a problem over there. It's just what it's going to be. But it happens all the time. That there's, there's also this culture of like, I want to be like somebody else. So they'll do anything to be, which is kind of sad. You know, I call them faux fluencers or faux investors. Like they want to say that they're whiskey investors. But when I say, what's your collection like? It's like 10 bottles and... I'm like, I, I I, mean, that's nice, but you should just drink them. You know, or they, or they buy bottles for 80 bucks to sell for 100 bucks. You know, and I'm just like, why do that? You know, like, what do you need to do that for? Now, that particular company that now has possession of that bottle that we've been talking about, is called Tiratine, and it's a Scotch company, one of the first ones that is owned by a Japanese company. Japan is growing across the board. They're looking to invest in production and they're looking yeah. to continue to export to U.S., France, China, Taiwan, Australia. Booze consumer awareness, brand owners, they want to go across the board and they're putting a lot of money in. And well, they're, I mean, they're just Good going grass. through. Go ahead. Everyone's, everyone's doing, everybody's doing that. I mean, think about this. Uh, once again, go back to my, my restaurant analogies. All of these whiskey houses 20 years ago, they thought that this is what it is. Let's just call it hypothetically a thousand people want whiskey. Okay. So they made, so they laid down liquid in barrels to service the thousand people. They lay down stuff that they'll pull out in six years, 10 years, 12 years, 50, whatever they pull out, they're going to pull. And then all of a sudden, 10 years ago, the demand for a thousand goes to 2000. And then during COVID, the demand goes from 2000 to 10,000. They don't, there's no liquid in the ground to service all these people. So they are now all scurrying to increase their liquid in the ground so they can support the sales. But we haven't seen that coming because, like I joke, you can't microwave whiskey. So, like, it has to spend time in the barrel 
in in mother nature expanding and contracting and doing its thing to get what needs to be sold in the future so yeah japanese also has the second thing going everybody wants it now 10 years ago you walked in and tried to order japanese whiskey they would have said you were crazy now you walk in they got three on the menu and they started 150 dollars for one ounce wow and they can command that they can command it i want to wrap why because you can't get it because you can't get it you, they, you, you can command anything that you can't get no no yeah <laughs> it's just supply and demand definitely counts I want to ask one more thing because I really want to know about this from you uh, Gavin because we've had almost 30 guests on the program mm-hmm. I noticed it's all these people you've gotten to connect with either conferences you maybe gotten to work with and, and collaborated with they're all great people wonderful people everybody's so gracious and so wonderful and so relaxed and such a chill atmosphere when you look at all these years after you decided to go ahead and get into this, I mean, who's there not the like that you get to work with every day? Oh, my God. I mean, just remember, Brad, this is not my full-time job. This is my right. passion project. Yeah. Like, I, I have a real job. I work, this is like all the bonus round, but I could never have realized this would ever happen. Um, it really, I mean, I'm so grateful every time. All these guests we've had are like real relationships. Um, you can tell, you know, like it's just yeah. true true fun and true passion and people I respect. I think the coolest thing that we're doing with this show, Brad, is I'm in total control of who the guests are that come on the show. And I want, because I honestly believe in them. I don't think that there's just some like pretenders or anything. These are real people that are, because I'm a whiskey geek. I mean, you've heard me talk for 29 times. I'm like, oh my God, I tried this. Oh my God, I tried that. Like, that's the heart of it. My secondary is, holy shit, I've made a ton of fucking money with this investment and it continues to grow. Exactly. And everybody else is going along with you also making money off of it as well. It also puts some good investments in. It's great. Look, if they're if they're listening, you know, that's great. If they're not, I would I'm not a s I'm not an investment advisor. I chose to do this. I could lose it all tomorrow and so it is. I'd end up drinking it. It's been fun. It's always if, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. This has been the bonus round with the podcast because we've been able to talk to more people. And get out more than rather me waiting for a show or to be in, in town. So, yeah, I mean, this is just the beginning. And I think we'll do more of these episodes on like how to select your whiskey if you do want to start an investment, being knowing that this is not investment advice. I'm not any kind of, I am, most of my shit that I've made money on Brasco is 100% just a gut check, I think. Well, all, a lot of education, a lot of research too. Oh, I, I research everything. I research everything. And, and most of the time it's right and sometimes it's wrong. I own it both ways. But yeah, let's do another one of these. I can't thank you enough for putting this together today, my friend. Um, let's just keep having fun. And guys listening and girls listening, like if you want to feedback, you can always go to GavinLindy.com, RolexWhiskey.com, ask questions. Um, we'd love to answer them on the show. And I appreciate everyone listening today. And Brask, I, I really appreciate you putting this together, my brother. Thank you. <laughs>